This is The Topic is Trek, episode 140, for Friday, June 30th, 2023. Coming up in this episode, lawyer up, Una is going to court. Admiral Janeway gets canceled. Nan has to get back in time. All that and our Warp Speed Roundtable, right now on The Topic is Trek. Toronto. On the edge of forever. Welcome to The Topic is Trek, the podcast that runs on impulse power. Join us for a journey where no show has gone before. If it has to do with Star Trek, there's a good chance we'll talk about it. Sooner or later, because on this show, the topic is Trek. Engage already. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another thrill-packed edition of The Topic is Trek. I am Clinton, one of your co-hosts. And of course, as I always point out, in order to be a co-host, I have to have other hosts. That's how it works. So first, beaming in to join me from a bunker someplace on a Klingon prison planet, I guess, is Mr. Craig Stepp. That's what she said. Um, isn't that the office more than anything? I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's the hip new catchphrase anyone's <laughs> going to be talking about around the water cooler. If there are water coolers any place anybody is anymore, I don't know about that either. New, obviously not. It's been around for a while. Yeah. All right. So let's move right on to beaming in our other co-host, Mr. Chuck Tomasi. Sounds like the bandwidth is a little bit lesser on his side. I don't know. Well, the buffer is buffering or something i don't know something oh, heisenberg yeah. compensators you gotta align them every other day i tell you chuck oh, uses di- chuck uses the dial-up transporters <laughs> he's forming really <laughs> really slowly <laughs> two hours later see it all comes back to spongebob eventually yeah there you go we got there eh, it's a paramount property so we're good for now. Well, how have you uh, folks been the past couple of weeks while we've been away between episodes? Uh, I've been pretty good. Both been very good. When, when you said lawyer up, all I could think of was Saul Goodman's Cadillac. That's what this license plate said. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, Una better call Saul. Absolutely. Better call Saul for Una. That would have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Pike's been hanging around with a respirator on. To meet Saul, that would have that would have been hilarious. All right. Well, we'll we're already getting into the the uh, first episode, so oh, just yeah. to let you know, we're changing things up a bit uh, this time around. We're going to do the first of our two episodes that we're covering. Then we'll take a break for some uh, quick uh, subspace chatter, and then we'll do the second episode followed by Warp Speed Roundtable. Wow, I must have missed the staff meeting. Now i got to retrain my soundboard. Mmm. All right, we'll see. You need to have the, a little cookie every time the soundboard does something correct, and it'll be fine. 
All right, so it's time to head out on our first main mission with an appropriate sound effect. <laughs> Spock's viewer. Yep. I, I guess that works. That's right. Um, and we should also, since we're going right into this, we should also do our spoiler alert. Oh, yes. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right. So. Do I need to make that what? longer, guys? Do you, you mean? Make... We'll work on it. We'll work on it. We need okay. that 12 hour one to go with the whole like 12 hour Enterprise D engine noise. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll Something... publish that under the Topic is Trek uh, YouTube page, yeah. and I'm sure everyone will you enjoy it. Fall asleep to it, play it all night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sensory overload while you sleep. Okay. Right. So we're going to start off with our first episode, and Craig. Give us some background information on this first episode we'll be going to be talking about. Okay. And of course, we're talking about Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra per Aspera. Oh, I thought it was and... about a- a- banner ads in asteroids. I thought that... No. Yeah. No. no. That's exactly right. That, that's a Danny right. Hillcrest moment. <laughs> and this is written by Dan, uh, Dana Horgon. And Dana serves as co-executive producer on Stranger Worlds. And this is their first script for the show. Dana also wrote the rumored to be a musical episode, Subspace Rhapsody, and it will premiere later this season. Mm. Dana's previous work includes being a writer and producer on Supergirl and Once Upon a Time, as well as serving as an assistant to the executive producers on the series Hell on Wheels, which uh, didn't that have Anson Mount in it? So, uh, which starred Hanson Mount. See? Just, just keep reading. Hank <laughs> <laughs> Colmini. Craig, Craig, uh, Craig always studies ahead on this show. <laughs> I know. I was trying to make it conversational. Thanks. Uh, it was also directed by Valerie Weiss. And this is Valerie's first time directing Star Trek. But other uh, directing credits include episodes of Outer Banks, Prodigal Son, Bull, Why Women Kill, The Rookie, Suits. <gasps> How to get away with murder and more. So the short synopsis is Commander Una Chin Riley faces court martial along with possible imprisonment and dishonorable dismissal on, from Starfleet. Her defense lawyer is a childhood friend with whom she's had a terrible falling out. All righty. So we're going to get right into it. Now, I've got a bunch of notes here that may not necessarily always go in order, but I, I want to talk about, since this is very much a... Um, a concept episode and it's a courtroom drama. There's obviously not a lot of action in it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we'd spend time kind of talking about the, the finer points of what's going on in this episode. And my first part here is that we talk about Una's childhood in a provisional world uh, because her life was in peril, peril because peril, because her family needed to hide their genetic alterations. And that's because her, um, Illyrian colony had been granted provisional acceptance into the Federation, mm-hmm. but that would mean there would have to be an end to the tradition of genetic modification. So my question is, why would the Federation actually wish to foster the situation of people being put in peril by insisting that people have to stop their tradition of doing genetic modification. 
It was around the whole genetic modification thing. The Federation fears it because of what happened with the eugenics wars. Can't well, have any of that. Is, yeah. Well, the other side of the coin on that is, but but it's also it's causing harm in and of itself by doing that. The other thing is the ban on augmentation stems from the eugenics wars, as right. we know, but that's an Earth-centric issue. Why would other members of the Federation support such a ban? And are there issues with augmentation that are that are universal, like every civilization goes through this? Or does the United Earth have to support laws and regulations assisted upon by the Andorians, the Tellarites, and the Vulcans as far as things that we would normally say, well, I don't think that's really worth saying you can't be in the Federation over. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to me, it's a, a big question. And clearly this doesn't get resolved in this uh, episode. As we know, this goes into, we're having the same problem with Dalarel in Prodigy, that he can't get in because of this ban. And it just seems to me that it's causing as many problems as it's solving. You know, it could it could very well be um, something like maybe the reason this colony was being accepted was to provide a protection, something like that, but not necessarily be a full fledged member. Uh, I mean, who knows? We obviously didn't get any of that backstory. Well, so. I mean, we know that it's provisional and we mm -hmm. assume that the provision. Is that they stop genetic modification. Oh, that's true. Which yeah. is part um, of their culture. So you're kind of torn because the Federation's not supposed to interfere with cultures. Right. That's right. And, and as far as we can tell, this is not something that is um, causing harm to anyone. Unless, so not, I mean, we can yet. speculate, but what <laughs> one of my guesses would be maybe the Vulcans, Tellarites, et cetera, have had similar experiences. They just didn't pass the law. You know, for all we know, the, the Tellarites could have been working on beauty genetics and it went horribly wrong. Yeah. Every, every civilization. This is the had, result. What do you mean? It went perfectly. Every civilization has had uh, fedoras and heaters and augments and <laughs> it never worked out. <laughs> and pork pie hats. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It just struck me as very odd that it seems to be, as we'll find out in this episode as well, that it, it's just, the results can be not what you intend them to be. Right. And there was, there was the, you know, overall, I like this episode because it felt like good old Star Trek bringing social issues out mm -hmm. as a story. Like, right. yes, yeah. we yeah. need some of that. Right. And we, we get into a bit more obvious about that uh, because the next thing that happens is uh let's see i want to go to, not the patel uh, let's see let me go to this one. there we go i'm gonna go here mm -hmm. that pike tries to sway nira ketul to be una's lawyer and she really wants nothing to do with the federation let alone have nothing to do with una because she feels like these draconian rules that the federation has is an attempt to quash these people from saying who they truly are, that they right. have to hide yeah. who they are. Discrimination. Yep. Yeah. Uh, she says to Pike. Or changing what they are to, yeah. to fit in. Right. She says to Pike, it was only a matter of time until she was outed. Starfleet will never let an Illyrian serve, not openly. 
you know, which is our first hint at this, this episode is going to go places that are going to be kind of uncomfortable yep. to go to. Uh, but he does, he does convince her uh, to take the case uh, being a, a civil trial lawyer and, you know, that she has had some other cases that were a little bit low profile and they were right. doing so well that this could help her cause you as well. Got to admit it. You got to admire his tenacity though, willing to suffocate for a cause like that. You should yeah, have brought a bigger tank of stuff for them though, though. You know? Yeah. It was, he maybe had a bigger tank in his bag. He just wasn't showing it. <laughs> so, Hey, by the way, I don't know about you guys, but if the future has chairs with no legs, I'm not sure if I trust that. <laughs> but the well, power we goes see, out. <laughs> we saw yeah. that in um, Discovery. In, in Discovery, the yeah. On the you know the, the uh, when uh, they went to the future, the yeah. chairs had and no the desk, yeah, and they yeah. just kind of materialized yeah. out of nothing. What yeah. What I want to know is right. that the planet itself. Now, I'm trying to figure out if this is the planet that the Illyrians were kind of like wouldn't conform were relegated to because it doesn't seem like a really hospitable planet. I mean, yes, they can augment themselves to deal with it, but it, it's not a paradise that they're on. No. I think they need to augment the climate, you know? So it kind of yeah. looks like Canada with all the forest fires going on right now. So maybe they just filmed yeah. this in Canada or huh. New York. Well, they did, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. This, this one struck me like it was filmed in just, you know, some office building, because when you have like a an exit door uh, to a balcony, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know what's what's interesting is uh, and when I see uh, at least in my eyes when I see little glimpses of outside of Starfleet like this, you know, they're in a regular building. He's walking down the road. You know, people are probably going to lunch and stuff, and it's just regular life carry on. Even it happened in Star Wars. You know, when they uh, got into a situation, it wasn't warlike. It was more like they were in a casino. It's like real life goes on outside of being in space and all that. And it just, it's interesting to see uh, that slice of life outside of Starfleet for a little bit. Yeah, they just did the same thing in Battlestar Galactica as well. They had casinos and, and so forth. We got quite a few eyeballs yeah. in the next episode that we'll talk about. All right. So I uh, wanted to go back to, to the, let's see. I don't know when I lost that. Okay. Copying slides here. Um, now, Captain Battelle is charged with being basically the prosecuting attorney uh, in these proceedings. And she doesn't seem like she's really on board with doing this at all. And, and we're going to see later on where she does some verbal gymnastics mm -hmm. in one particular part of it. But my question is, was she the one who assigned Una that defense attorney that looked like he was fresh out of law school and said, yeah, I think it's a good idea. You should take the plea deal. <laughs> he, he was an intern. And <laughs> well, if you cannot paralegal. afford an attorney, one will be assigned to you. Yeah. Stupid paralegal. <laughs> and, and she really is trying to do everything that she can. She, she has the same argument with, with Pike about the fact that if you look objectively at what I've been doing, I've been trying to do everything possible for her. She mm -hmm. even sits down with Pike 
and they have a conversation which starts out very cordial uh, when yeah. they're in the lounge. And then she just leans in and says, she, and how, and when did you first find out that right. she was an Illyrian? To say, these are the kind of ask, these are the questions you're going to get asked if you take the stand. So well, she, yeah, she was, I know. Yeah. She was obviously, she did a good, the character does a good job of doing her job yet trying to give a little wiggle room at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an, an interesting point to make. And then of course, um, Ketul takes the case and she's brought on board the Enterprise to do some prep work Mm -hmm. for what's going to be happening. And we get an interesting conversation between her and Nan. Well, I thought the conversation between, uh, uh, maybe it might be after this, between uh, between Nan and Uhura was interesting as well. Well, that's after this because she says, because she says that. Go find out what you can find out. She thinks that it's possible, Nan thinks it's possible that the information that basically outed Una was obtained illegally. And so uh, the attorney says, if you can get some information on that, that's great. Yeah, this is where she's asking her for it. Yep. Right. So the the next thing we see is we have uh, Nan going to Uhura saying, I need all these different records. Okay, great. No problem. No problem. And all the personal logs, dead stop. Yeah. At that point. And Uhura's yeah. right. Well, I, yeah, I thought that was, uh, that was interesting. And then for a moment, I forgot that, uh, you know, Kirk was doing a personal log. And I, I, at first I went, wait, his got leaked. But no, it was, uh, uh, you know, Ken Cattrall's, uh, character was listening in on it at the door. Right. Right. But yeah, for a minute I was like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not right. And later on we find out that it really isn't about non trying to figure out who else leaked this information. She feels like she was the one mm-hmm. right. who leaked the information because she was very angry with Una when Una was revealed to be an Illyrian and genetically augmented. And there's definitely some bitterness there, and that won't go away at the end of this episode about some of these issues. Mm-hmm. But um, Catul explains that, no, you're just a person, and you have the ability to do good or bad you only feel this way because that's the way they treat you. And that's the way they want you to feel again, harping on the issue to shine a light on it, that you are not a bad person. There was nothing wrong with you. The norm is saying you are abnormal and you were to be feared and you were to be, you know, put aside. Right. So again, another important point to be made here in basically this whole thing about rights as a person yep, and, and what you are entitled to. And you're entitled to be yourself and not have someone come along and say, well, you're, you're related to this person from several hundred years ago. So you're bad news. Didn't, wasn't there an episode about sins of the father? Indeed, indeed. Yep. So it's been getting it's been getting very heavy in the episode. What did you guys think of um, 
this bit where we have the hateful conversation going on <laughs> in the lounge. <laughs> that that ludicrous display. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I was just thinking. That was funny. She goes, Oh, they're uh you know, they, I love you know, I love the intro where she's mocking him. Why, yes, Mr. Spock, I'd love to come over and taste your yeah. plomeek soup or whatever. whatever. She's like, yeah. having this bad lip reading competition or something. That would be enjoyable. <laughs> then I like Spock come over and apologizing for that display. <laughs> Mbenga realizes, because he's spent time on Vulcan, he says they, they hate each other. Yeah, she's staring. You, Are you messing with me? Yeah. Can't you can't you read the body language? Like, Yeah. You got to read those subtle hints because they're really subtle. <laughs> So this this moment here definitely stood out as a, oh, we're going to get really heavy. We've been going really heavy. I think we need a moment of levity at this point. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. We're about to strap in for some serious stuff. So and I, and I think it was fun. The, I, the problem I had with the with the scene was I didn't at first recognize that that's who Spock was talking to. Yeah. Oh, um, right. So I. I couldn't figure out that conversation until after it was over. Of who he Oh, was. I did. I, I figured, you know, two Vulcans near, uh, and around that same area, you know, they, you know, just took, uh, decided to have dinner with each other, I guess. Will you mm. be home for the light festival, Mr. Spock? That would be No, agreeable. I will not. Oh, I'm sorry. I <laughs> raised my voice by two decibels in that response. Right. <laughs> All right. We go, we go into the trial now because, uh, the lawyer said you need to reject the plea deal, and Una is slapped now with full um, weight of the law, including uh, sedition. Well, there was mm-hmm. there was a discussion between Una and Katul, and she said, "We're going to do this my way." But, but what? Right. Said, I want to be on the stand. I can, you know, tell the story. And she says, "No, we're doing this my way." And yeah. Una has a hard time fitting that shoe on her foot. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's her career on the line. So she's yeah. kind of, you know, I mean, she, she was one of the people between her and Pike who wanted her to be there. But now when it's actually coming to deadline and you're going into the courtroom, you start to get a bit of cold feet and, you know, self doubt creeping in at that point. Yeah. Well, she's also usually in control and now she's not. So Absolutely. That would be Absolutely. tough. That would be tough. From Although a... apparently she has full access to her uniform just sitting there in a basket. So she could just, you know, put on her uniform anytime she wants to. No, you want to look sure. good in court. No, yeah, that's true. And she has to, she does have to put it on later. All right. Every chance you get, because it could be your last time. So we introduce our, our, our judges. We have a, a Tellarite, um, a human and a Vulcan that are sitting in as judges for the trial. And Batal, as we already said, is the prosecuting attorney, but there's another Vulcan, the the Vulcan judge advocate uh, is sitting right next to her, observing how she is conducting herself in this trial. Mm -hmm. And the first person put on the stand is Admiral, yes, Admiral April. And after the long litany of his, you know, his service record and so forth and so on, then Katul takes a direction that no one is comfortable with <laughs> because she, she praises him for all his work kind of going around the rules for this and that and the other thing. Then why wouldn't he do the same thing for Una? Right. You know, and he had the ability to do so. And, and he gets all rankled 
and the ju- all the judges get rankled and and um, they admonish Katul uh, for bringing this up. Everybody watching the trial uh, in Kirk's quarters is like, what the heck is that all about? When they get back to the chambers, Una says, what was that all about? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You will feel and, my wrath. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, all, we're all thinking this thinking the same thing at this point so is is her defense going to be one of just trying to discredit the witnesses it seems like maybe that's what she's trying to do yeah you know can't quite figure out what the plan is here but then we get some character witnesses on the stand we have Mbenga and uh, Nan and Spock who are witnesses uh, for um, the defense and Mbenga pretty much just says that he um, he spoke to her discretion and her empathy, and he found her you know extremely competent at her task and and really had a feel for for people. Uh, Spock admitted that he knew she was hiding something. <laughs> and know, what, was, what would what, did you ever find out what she was hiding, Mister Spock? And did we all? from the clip ahead of time, did we all know that that's what he was going to say? No. I, I oh, had a I feeling did. he was going to say something else, but I liked how everybody was hanging on his, his words. Uh, you know, I, I, I figured that that was the one thing that he knew. Cause he mentioned the first day, right. He actually mentions that he met her on his first day on board the enterprise. And I'm thinking when he says she was hiding something, that's what she was hiding her, her pension for Gilbert and Sullivan musicals. Yeah. Well, I think he he may have done that as a cover for not lying. You know, yes, I did uh, have suspicion, but it was of this, you know, as well. You know, or I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I think mm-hmm. I thought he was misdirecting a little bit. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Wolf, do you know Gilbert and Sullivan? I have not had a chance to meet all the new yeah. crew members. <laughs> I'm, sure right. have, I'm sure they are fine. Yeah, <laughs> um, and Spock is asked if it's not logical to convict Una, and Spock agrees. But it, he considered it um, illogical for Starfleet to punish itself by removing such an extraordinary officer. That's a pretty so, profound statement from him. Yeah, it is indeed. And it's one of those things where if you ask the question of the witness and you haven't prepped the witness ahead of time, or have any any idea what the witness is going to say, you open yourself up to the answer you don't want. Yep. And that's not what the, the prosecution was looking for. Yep. And then Nan is on the stand and she recounts how Una rescued her from the Gorn breeding planet and, you know, really watched over her because uh, she had no family left. But then now this is where the careful questioning comes into play here because Battelle asks Nan if she ever suspected Una was an Illyrian. Okay, so Una replies, no, I did not. And if you'll notice, both Na'an and Battelle glance down. Now, you don't get to see what they're looking at, but they're clearly looking at that pad Mm -hmm. that she has her hand resting on. I assume it changes color if you're lying? Yeah, it's never really stated what would what would happen? Yeah, as, like as a, I can recall, it's never stated that that will happen. Like a mood ring of, I guess. but yeah. one has to assume because you use it to identify who you are, or for the computer to identify who you are. 
but you have to keep your hand there. So that to me is some sort of lie detector. So, all right. So she did not suspect that Una was an Illyrian. All right. Fair enough. Then the question is carefully worded. Did you ever get the impression that Una was hiding something? And Nan says, never. So she doesn't come out and ask the question, which is why the Vulcan, Basalt, makes a note at that point, because he realizes that she has not asked, did you know yeah. she was an Illyrian? says, did you suspect... And did you have an impression she was hiding something, but never asked the direct question, did you know? Right. Interesting. That seems like an oversight from a legal standpoint. Well, she's doing it on purpose. Yeah. She's clearly dancing around asking the question. She doesn't want to ask the question. So she's... Gotcha. Again, again she's, she's, making, doing, she's doing her job, but trying to give them uh, every chance she can. Right. And she's she's trying to leave as I think a lot of people were. I, matter of fact, I've, I've read some things online where, well, how come Nan actually lied on the stand? Nan did not lie on the stand. What Battelle was trying to do is exactly what some people think. She asked the question, did you know she was an Illyrian? She doesn't ask that question. Right. So I thought that was a very good a bit of uh, verbal gymnastics, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, Una... Chin Riley is put on the witness stand, much to a surprise of everyone, because you never want to put your client on the witness stand. Nope. Bad move. But we find out that um, Katal has a reason for doing this because she has want to recount things about her childhood and her life in the Illyrian colony. And how they were forced to do things in the shadows, if you will, once the Federation said, you need to put an end to all this genetic modification. And that led to all sorts of bad news, all sorts of hate, all sorts of violence. And did everyone catch the point where the first time she talks about a young boy being discovered as an Illyrian and he went home and augment was written on his door. Yep. That that was, um, Catul's cousin. Oh, she said my best friend's oh. cousin. Yeah. Ben oh, right. Catul. Yeah. And, I, and- I did catch that later. I think after the, like the second time I watched it, so this part of the story, they're both familiar with. Mm-hmm. And then we diverge at that point because when Katal is done, Una, said, Una begins talking again and impressing more about the dire conditions in the colony and how they had to leave and leave everything and everyone behind. And she talks about how she did try to defend another boy who had been uh, accused of being an Illyrian. And that's why she broke her leg and she would have died if they hadn't found a doctor in the middle of the night. And you can see Catul's face is like, 
she did not know that part of the story. Right. Yes. She did. She did not know that Una was speaking the truth. That she had learned that she needed to stand up for others, and eventually she was going to have to stand up for herself and mm-hmm. stopped hiding. Yeah. Hence why she's on the stand. Mm-hmm. And she says she wanted to join Starfleet because she looked at Starfleet and saw people from all different worlds uh, banding together and working for the greater good. And she wanted to be part of that. Um, and so that's then she quoted the old slogan of Starfleet before it was before the Federation add Astra per Aspera to the stars through hardship, which resonated with her, obviously because that was her desire to go to the stars with Starfleet and overcome these issues. So it's great. You know, we've got everything turned around. looks like things are, you know, you, you've got the, the judges are all kind of, Oh yeah, that's yeah. 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 Not so and fast. Not so fast because Pasalk. <laughs> hey, not so fast. Sit back down. <laughs> yeah. Basically says, hold my beer and watch this. And he right. gets up. <laughs> Hold my plumeek soup and watch this. Goes over and asks Una when Pike was first aware of her genetic modified mm-hmm. status. Yep. And she's under oath and she confesses it was four months ago. And everyone, again, in, in Kirk's, uh, Kirk, in Pike's quarters, is like, what? So this was, this was seemed like, okay, now things have gone the other direction. And Basalt's labels Una toxic and says that there is no logical alternative but to find her guilty. So we've gone from despair to hope to, oh, about to close the books on this case because clearly, you know, there's a conspiracy going on here and everyone's lying and you know this just is going to go down horribly wrong by the way yep by the way go back to that last picture yep especially like the one with mbinga but those uh uniforms are pretty cool Mm. nice callbacks obviously more uniforms to buy for cosplay (laughs) yeah on the list that's right we'll hold court at dragon con So after all this has happened, I think we break for a commercial at that, that point or something. It was like, oh, blah, blah, mumble, mumble, mumble. Things go badly. Then Katoom breaks out the Uniform Code of Justice. That's a big book. Wouldn't it, it be it on a it, pad at this point? Well, yeah. I figure we, I had this discussion with Bonnie about it. First of all, she's she's definitely got her Sam T. Coglion by by breaking out the books, the physical books mm-hmm. yeah. to have. But it's also about the show. If you have somebody pick up a pad, not as and much read this stuff, it doesn't have the gravitas of basically laying this thick. I, I wanted to volume. hear. I wanted to hear that book boom on the bench, but it did not. Maybe she yeah, should I, just have a big thick pad, you know, instead of. No, that, that <laughs> they, they're like trying to lift it up and be like, I, I can't lift this thing. Hey, yeah. Can I get this thing in audiobook format? It, it actually was a pa- a big thick pad, and that was just the case cover for it. That's all I could find yeah. on Amazon. Yeah, 
But she opened it and we saw pages. Yes. To code 8514. I thought for sure there would have to be a 47 in there somewhere. Yes. Well, they they don't always do that. And she makes the argument, and convincingly so, that Una is essentially a refugee seeking asylum. Yes. She was fleeing horrible conditions. She went looking for aid and she came to Pike asking for asylum. Mm-hmm. And all that has to happen at this point is for that to be confirmed as her status as a refugee seeking asylum. And the judges, while they can't overturn the regulation itself about um, the use of modification as a general blanket statement, they use it to say in this particular circumstance, because we must judge people as individuals, we grant the asylum and all charges are dropped. I like that book. But we're not doing anything about augments yet. Yeah. And no, we're not going to do about it for several hundred years, clearly at this point. So yeah, uh, we should see if discovery, you know, it's still in the books in in discovery's time. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. We did way with books. Now we just have pads (laughs) Mm. and floating chairs. It's the future. Yeah. Floating chairs. So Una is back on board the enterprise and uh, she and Katul begin their healing process. Um, and now they know more, a bit more about each other and what they've both been through mm-hmm. and what they both believe to be the case. But Katul is still not the biggest fan of Starfleet. She gets on the pad and she says, though, I am looking at a Starfleet crew that proudly serves under an Illyrian commander. Like I said, it's a start. And then, yep. and then um, Una says... If you're all here, who's flying the ship? Don't you have jobs? That's right. <laughs> Practically flies itself. Get back to work. Yeah, at the end, she thanks Pike. And then Pike says, well, you can thank me when you pay your attorney's fees. And hand yeah. The bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how much I had to pay to travel all the way to that, you know. To That's right. That nebula. Oh, I'm telling you. And my arms are tired. Woo. So quite, quite the episode. Um, definitely, yeah. I think when we knew that this trial was coming up for Una, I don't think any of us saw it going in this direction. No. Yeah, not exactly. But uh, I thought it might they might draw this out a little bit um, more. And at least in my mind, I thought maybe they'll draw this out a little bit more. But it seemed to uh, wrap it up pretty easy. In one episode. Well, I mean, you've only got a 10 episode season. So if you, you know, spend too long on it, it's, mm. it's going to spill into a lot of oh. other things. Davy uh, has a good uh, comment here. Yeah. Diane says uh, in real life, Pasalk would never be allowed to speak to Spock in private as he was a witness for the defense. Oh, fair point. That is logical. Fair point. I, yeah. I also thought that uh, Nira Katul, when she was talking to uh, La'an earlier, would make mm-hmm. a good counselor. The way that she interacted with her and kind of put her at ease and said, well, you know, kind of the, how do you feel about that? Or how does that make you feel? It, I, I enjoyed that interaction 
from a counseling standpoint, not a legal counsel. Yes. And I've heard people say that they, they, they hope the character comes back. And while I would love to see the character back, the question is, you know, it has to be in the context of something. And we know it can't be the dismantling of the law because the law still exists hundreds of years later. So she would have to be back for some good reason. Well, you know, Spock has a propensity to steal the Enterprise. She might, no, he he might need an attorney. Again. <laughs> they, they couldn't that put Pelia on the stand, number one, because she's a new character and she didn't know Una that long. And two, yeah. she would have come out swinging with, liar, liar, liar. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Couldn't resist. It was just right there. Right. All right. Do you have any other thoughts on this episode? Are we rating it? We will be rating it, but I want to make sure we've, if we have any other notes on the, the episode. Not um, really. Um, I did like the courtroom drama change. Uh, I mean, again, uh, those are pretty good episodes that they've done in the past, especially with uh, data and measure of a man. And everyone has pointed out, everything I've watched or read has pointed out that the courtroom was Starfleet headquarters from Discovery, that round room with the oh, opening yeah. in the center of it. Yeah. So I noticed that every, whenever they would film the room, they would shoot at an angle that you, at best you saw the railing of the center opening. You would never really see that full space, and except from a long shot where it was kind of down at a level where you just saw the railing itself. So you never saw the opening in right. the middle of the room. Yeah. And also sure. that in the the briefing cell, um, well, in the in the cell or the giant space, I should say, where um Una's offered the the plea a deal that they had flags up around the room. Yes. And you had the Vulcan flag, you had the Tellarite flag, the Enduring flag, and the United Earth flag. Yep. Because that is what Earth is. Earth is United Earth. They're members of the Federation. That's 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 who it is, and and also Starfleet was there as well. But man, there was a huge room to have that little tiny table with a with a small conversation going on. <laughs> Very odd. Yes. All right, so we're going to rate this on one to ten books of uniform codes of justice. That's what I was going for as well. You said it much better than me. Well. I'm only I'm doing one because those things are heavy. Oh well, I. <laughs> I've well, got space. I've got, the, space. I've got the ebook version. Yeah, the ebook. I downloaded okay. the PDF online. <laughs> audio. <laughs> the audio weighs nothing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll start from from my top down, which means I'm first, and then we'll go bottom up for the second one. I'm going to rate this a ten. I Ooh. think this was classic. Classic, classic Star Trek. Mm -hmm. This was using what Gene always, you know, said about Star Trek: using science fiction as a way of talking about the issues of the day of today. Yep. yep. And this is literally ripped from the headlines of things that are going on these days. Yep. So it it doesn't get any more Star Trek than this, no matter how you try. Okay. Uh, how about you, Craig? Um, 
I would uh, agree with the same sentiment what you just said. I was going to give it a nine, honestly, but uh, but yeah, it's really good episode. Like I said, I've I've liked the uh the courtroom dramas that they've done in the past, and this was I think as good as any. Um, the discussion in the courtroom, the back and forth, Leon uh uh Lon trying to uh track down who you know turned her turn her in turn Una in when you know it was Una herself. So yeah, I th- I thought this was a great episode. Okay. And how about you, Chuck? I'm with you, Clinton. I give it a 10. I I really walk away from a show going, dang, that was impressive. I I liked it on all levels. There there I normally I'll walk away and go, no, you know, how did that happen? Or you know, you, you do have that that one lingering question of why are genetic augments outlawed by the entire federation? That that's the only thing that might give me like a nine point seven five. Like yeah, there's still that nagging question of why mm-hmm. is this so bad across all the members of the Federation when we were responsible for the eugenics wars. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, I think that was a very highly rated episode, to say the least. Yeah, I and would say never- that's probably our highest rated one ever. Could be. Uh, I remember I rated very highly uh, the season one finale. We'll have to get um, listener Diana sent us the spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's saying, no, leave me out of this. <laughs> leave me out of this. Right. All right. So now we're going to take our break from reviewing the episodes. And we're going to sadly check in with somebody to see if it's okay to do subspace chatter. Must we? <laughs> We don't need all that subspace chatter. Well, even when he gets a break and doesn't have to do it right at the beginning of the episode, I I just he keeps staring. He keeps staring at me. He does. It's creepy, isn't it? Yeah. His eyes follow you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't escape it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh wait a minute. That's the Madame Tussauds uh, wax figure. Oh. Oh, that explains this. Why he never blinks? Yeah. Well, yeah. for what it's worth, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 100%. That that last episode we talked about. You know what? I'll, right. I'll bump my rating up to a 10 just to Ooh. deal with you guys. I was, you know, when I, by the way, when I, when I give a 10, it better be really good. And y'all gave it 10s. I'm like, okay, well, I feel comfortable pushing it up that one other, other bar. So, yeah. I, I, well, I, think, I, I think I'm just going to stick with the 9.75 because of that. Little okay, I'm going back down and not. I'm kidding. Yeah, but keep but but keep in mind the fact that that's sticking with canon. That is yeah. that is established. They can't if they change that. That's well, wrong. They could have at least justified it or explained it or something. Well, they did. They justified it as saying that. I mean, again, because they don't get into the whole discussion of it, which I don't think they could, because that's you're going to go off on a tangent, but. Earth wants it to sit in there because of the eugenics wars. And they, they, they say it like at least three times. It is because of the eugenics wars that this rule exists. Well, you know, uh, because of that, you know, when, uh, as far as entrance into Starfleet or anything like that, maybe that's, that was pressed upon them. That's got to be part of your charter. You know, when you. Genetic yeah. modifications are bad. Okay. 
<laughs> yes, it went, became Edward G. Robinson all of a sudden. Oh, I'll make your bed, okay? All right. Um, well, so we have one story we want to talk about, and it's and just like that, Paramount Plus, they're claimed that they have every episode of every Star Trek series is no longer true. Hey, Wait, I think what? it's only been true uh, a collective of about four months. Well, every <laughs> series, they don't, the, 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 the movies, they claimed every series, every episode. Right. Right. So that's. So from the beginning, they've had oh, every okay. series right. and every episode. Until now. But as, but as of earlier this week, that is no longer true. I don't understand what... Fill us in. Well, on Friday, June 23rd, the streaming service announced that it was canceling four of its exclusive shows. Queen of the Universe, The Game, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies... And one more show that had completed its first season had been renewed for a second and was currently wrapping up post-production on that season, Star Trek Prodigy. That seems a little late in the game. You're wrapping up well, post-production. Add, well, to add insult to injury, all Paramount Plus exclusive episodes of all four series have been removed from Paramount Plus. That's right. If you do a search for Star Trek Prodigy, what you get back is... Uh-oh, we couldn't find it. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. I mean, I, why would well, they take it off? Well, the move by Paramount Plus is designed to serve as a tax write-off. It is not uncommon in the new world of streaming services. Unfortunately, it is being done in conjunction with the merger of Showtime into Paramount Plus, mm-hmm, right. a move we talked about earlier this year. Right. And the merger comes with the price increases that we also talked about. So you have people now who were watching Prodigy, it's removed, and some of the other shows as well, that could be fans of just one of the other shows or multiple shows. And a price increase. We're going to take those, we're going to take those shows away, and we're going to charge you more for the service. This is not That's going down saying. well. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe they have a buyer and they have to take it off for a little bit before it goes over to... Nope, this was definitely, they had to have it, they had to have that off of the service, I think, by June 30th. Matter of fact, um, uh, I think it was Queen of the Universe. Their episodes stayed up until the 30th. And so they're being removed um, tomorrow as, as the day we're recording this. And I think that was some probably some sort of deal that had been set up ahead of time with the service. But all three, all of the other three shows have been removed. Because you want Four. that off the books. If you're taking it as a tax write-off for the ca- for their calendar year, they have to be done with that by that They're point. They're burying them in the desert out by Alamogordo, New Mexico. <laughs> well, it's kind of like uh, Warner Brothers with the the Batgirl movie. You know that has mm-hmm. uh, uh, Michael Keaton in it, and I was looking forward to seeing Michael Keaton as Batman, and I was going, I would see it. I'd see that movie and. They wrote it off for, uh, I guess, insurance purposes, saying it was unwatchable. <laughs> so they they shelved it, and, and then they and part of that agreement for the write off is they cannot show it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe yep. for a certain amount of time or something. I don't know, but they can't show it. So yeah, it's weird how this works. So, listener Diane is is asking a question oh. that um, 
a lot of people are asking, do you think they would sell it to another service like Netflix or Amazon? And the answer is absolutely. Matter of fact, the Hageman brothers are actively encouraging people to keep up the Save Star Trek Prodigy campaign on Twitter. Um, I've got uh, some slides here. This is a whole um, campaign that they have going. Uh, this is from one of the other uh, producers on the series, one of the other uh, showrunners, uh, talking about all the things you can do. And this is not, I want to make sure people are clear, this is not a campaign to get Star Trek Prodigy back on Paramount Plus, because that's mm -hmm. not going to happen. Well, they took it as a tax write off. But well, mm -hmm. what will happen is that they're going to pitch this as a show that has 20 episodes that has that have been aired or streamed. They have 20 complete episodes because CBS Studios is paying for the completion because that was the deal completion of these additional 20 episodes. So any service that picks that up is not paying any production costs for 40 episodes of this show. So the idea is to keep Star Trek Prodigy visible, to do things like buy the DVDs, to show the DVDs sell, right? buy the merchandise, do the hashtags, have the avatars, everything possible while they're out negotiating for somebody else to buy this thing to keep it visible. Yeah. Cause the statement that I saw from Paramount, it did say that they were looking for a new home for both seasons of the show. So. Right. So that definitely, and, and I think some people are confused thinking, Oh, well that, then Paramount will change their mind. No, Paramount is not going to change their mind. This is a business and they ran their numbers and said, it's better to take this as a tax write-off. Now, we don't have access to their numbers, so we don't know between Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon, because remember, it started streaming on Nickelodeon as yep. well, yep. Or, or airing on Nickelodeon. We don't know what the numbers were. We don't know who was watching. We don't know if the audience was mostly adults. Was it a good... Was it? A mixture when it when it showed up on Nickelodeon was it not watched on Nickelodeon by kids but it was watched on Paramount Plus by adults, but in a smaller number because how many people do we know who have never gotten around to watching Prodigy because it was pitched as a show for kids? Yeah, well, as we as we all stated, it, I think it was a little pitched a little wrong, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that is that is I'm I'm ex, I'm expecting it's going to go to some other network. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to be Netflix, Amazon. There are plenty of players out there. I think I think the ultimate irony would be if Disney Plus picked it up. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Star Wars versus Star Trek all over again. Well, I guess it never died. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think they would necessarily do that because of, of that issue. But, you know, someone out there is going to pick this up because it's very tempting to say you have Star Trek, you have Star Trek that people want exclusively and including 20 episodes no one has ever seen before. Right. Right. That's right. That's worth something. Mm -hmm. So time will tell. We'll, we'll, we'll keep you informed as, as this uh, as 
as the situation develops, as they say out there in uh, television land. Yes. All right. So that was our big story. So I wanted to just make sure we got that one in before we went uh, back uh, to the <laughs> review of the second episode. There was a story, because, of course, we want to have some news out of Vulcan, Alberta, Canada. Unfortunately, there is no news um, about Star Trek related. I did, however, want to mention that um, the county council has declared an agricultural disaster for Vulcan County. And this is this is true uh, because of the conditions there. They're going to have a lot of crops that aren't going to make it this year Wow! Uh, in the county. So our thoughts are with everyone in Vulcan, Alberta, Canada, as they always are. We we jest a bit, but, you know, we jest out of love uh, for them. So we're we're hoping that things turn around. You know, if if anything can, if the weather can change and save some of the crops, and that would be a great bit of news to get. I'd love to be able to report that as much they, as anything else. They need whales. They 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 do need whales, but I don't know how that would actually help. But the, yes, they <laughs> they need whales. Um, I've got a, my my mind is swirling over what that even means. But uh, so that's our news out of Vulcan, Alberta, Canada. So. Our, our thoughts are definitely with them. We're totally going there one day. You know that, right? Yeah, we ab- absolutely are. Absolutely yeah. are. Um, now, in addition to that, those couple of stories, we have an additional 35 stories over in the show notes over at The Topic is Trek. Oh, finally get to do that. Woohoo.com. That's right. And you'll get stories broken out by classic TV series what I'm calling streaming series and movies, because that wraps in the section 31 movie, which is not theatrical. It's, it's a, uh, an event. An it's event a musical. Yeah. Musical. Yeah, that's that's going to come later on. It's and, a silent uh, film. <laughs> we've got stuff about the, uh, the motion picture uh, series. We've got other media, including books, video games, comic books, more news about Paramount plus, and a category that I call, that we don't often talk about that's in here called franchise wide and miscellaneous. That's if there's a story that covers more than one franchise, uh, you know, more than one series, I will lump that in there because it's not really necessarily just about like say the original series or TNG. It's about both. I put it into that section at the bottom. So Mm -hmm. be sure you scroll all the way through. If you want to get all the stories about Star Trek, because there are a bunch down there, we've got one in there like, um, who is Rolaren? So that covers both the next generation and Picard. Yep. So there's stories in there from all different aspects of Trekdom. Trekdom. All right. So now in the middle of the show comes my favorite part of the episode, and that's when I get to say <clears throat> goodbye, Charlie. I want to stay, 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 stay. Nope, 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 nope. <sighs> always feels so good so good (laughs) all right and now we're on to our second episode review and uh, chuck why don't you tell us all about this one actually i think that would make that would be good in the musical listen to this i want to stay 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 yeah that'll work he's right on beat all right main mission part two this is of course strange new world season two episode three tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And no, stop. Tomorrow. The three, only three. <laughs> oh, like stay, stay, stay. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit longer. Hey. Want to stay just a little bit 
No, sorry. You know how Clinton feels about singing in this song. In this show. Can't afford it. We can't afford it. That's so right. written by David Reed. David serves as a consulting producer on Strange New Worlds. And this is their first script of the series. As with Dana Horgan, who wrote the last episode, David also wrote another episode entitled Lost in Translation that will premiere later this season. David has written for shows such as The Magicians, Aquarius, Supernatural, and Da Boys which stars Carl Urban and Jack Quaid. This was directed by Amanda Rowe, and although this is Amanda Rowe's first time directing Star Trek, being born in Toronto was certainly an advantage for this assignment because Amanda's other directing credits include episodes of the show such as Nancy Drew, The 100, Doom Patrol, and Cloak and Dagger. So here's a short synopsis of what happened. La'an travels back in time to 21st century Earth to prevent an attack which will alter humanity's future history and bring her face to face with her own contentious legacy. Very much indeed. We didn't so even unlike, get to use the Guardian of Forever for this one. No. Where is Carl when you need him? <laughs> All right. So let's begin at the beginning here. We get a, a segment at the very beginning of this episode that seems a little out of place with the rest of the episode. And that is what I'm basically referring to as a day in the life of Naan. It's an establishing shot or sequence. Yes. Yeah, we see her, you know, uh, settling an argument or, you know, quelling some people having an argument about what got lost in the transporter. Uh, We have have her uh, knocking on Spock's door saying, keep it down in there with the the music playing. What did he say? I will try to play with less... uh, it's not enthusiastically what, vigor uh, or something yeah it was like, how much noise can you make on that little thing <laughs> apparently enough to bother somebody else who who's, who doesn't like their stuff ransacked you know she's going through and searching these people. he's playing the, some of the classical music of metallica oh well it's not <laughs> time for heavy metal i guess <laughs> Yeah, and we see that she's basically taken everything that Pelia has in storage, I guess, on the ship. She brought all this stuff with her when she just, I mean, she wasn't a member of this crew until she decided herself she was going to be a member of this crew. And she then goes, and I'm going to bring all my stuff with me. Just a few mementos. It's filling the entire corridor worth of stuff that she claims is definitely all hers, that she worked at... um, the Museum of Antiquities or or, or something of, of that uh, name. Yeah. yeah. And that, that painting is definitely not stolen. So, you know, that's, that's mine. It's a fake uh, type of thing. It just, it, it seemed like this entire sequence was meant for one purpose only. And that was to get Pelliot to say the words, I even have a bunker in Vermont. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> We go through that entire segment just to get that to happen. And you know what? I missed it the first time because I was kind of starting to, I was more interested in the artifacts and the stories. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you, you, the Louvre is going to have to stop calling us or something. It, it, I, I didn't even hear that part the first time through and went, oh, there it is. But then we get a tone shift because we see uh, on sparring with Mbenga. And she's just wailing away. And Mbenga can clearly tell that she is definitely agitated and upset. But 
he can't offer her any advice because she's not hearing it. She's not having any of it. Yep. He tries he tries as her doctor, he tries as her sparring partner, and it's not getting through. So I have a a thought on this. I mean, clearly Una, Una uh, Nan has always had this issue of her last name and people associating her with her distant relative and treating her accordingly. Mm-hmm. But I was also wondering if she was upset that Una was able to clear her name and have that all put behind her. That she was now on her own, green clear to oh. just be herself. Yeah. And that was never going to happen in this kind of foreshadowing that that was never going to happen for her, for non that her name was her name and she was just going to have to live with that. Isn't it lawn? Lawn. I keep saying lawn. Yeah. It's, it's an L. Oh, sorry. I don't know. I'm sorry. Oh, Uh, lots of, lots of days going through today on the, yes. Long week. Have you seen the show? Yeah, once or twice. Once or twice. I apologize that I've been... It's Star Trek, not Star Wars. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, let me make that note, too. If if you do the math, you know, all the names in that family have to rhyme with Khan anyway. So there's John. (laughs) You know what's what's funny is the other day, I I was telling this guy I did a Star Trek podcast. And he goes, oh, yeah. Uh, I said, you into Star Trek? He says, no, really, I'm more into Star Wars. I'm like, "Why why does everybody immediately go there? Because they want to get get you going. No, it's because they both have no, the, a clue. They star have... the name of both of them. That's pretty yeah, cool. they're both take place in space. <laughs> All right, so you guys, you guys, check me if I'm. I don't know why I've got. Uh, do it. Do a search and replace. So <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So keep on top of me if I'm on this stuff. Um, All right, so she's having her issues, but then suddenly while in the corridor, something mysterious happens. There's a bit of a, a flash, a light shift. Yeah. A show of so, uh, not really sure what happened. And this, uh, this gentleman dressed in a gray suit comes stumbling out from somewhere. We don't, I'm not sure whether there's a room there or just a wall and collapses to the floor. Bloody. Lon realizes that he's been shot by a bullet. A yeah. And uh, he says that there has been a future. Um, what is it? It's a, there's been a future incident and that it has to be corrected. He, sh- he hands her a device that has a pop-up screen, uh, a floating screen. We see a graphic mm-hmm. and he says, you have to take this to the bridge. And then uh-huh. dies. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was really hoping that would be revealed to be Gary Seven. Yeah, uh, I, thought, I thought so for a second, but yeah, yeah. We we find out ultimately that he's a temporal agent, though. Hey, by the way, uh, I did read an article that mentioned that this was the same uh, TSARS uh, computer interface as the USS Rel- uh, Relativity and Voyager. Mm. And they had a screenshot, and it's exactly the same 
kind of interface. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, not only that, um, jumping ahead to the end, but at the end of the episode, when the other agent flashes this up, I went into Photoshop and I overlaid them. It's the same readout. So I'm trying to figure out what that display is showing him because he's talking about the incident. Now the incident hasn't happened yet. And he's seeing a display that theoretically, because it's the same one as the end is pre split of the timeline. We never see this graphic with it. If that's true, we never see it with, with things out of sync. That, that, Diagonal thing with dots running back and forth reminded me a lot of the displays they showed on Deep Space Nine. I was I was thinking more like uh, you know that's what Doc Brown was drawing in Back to the Future. Well, I, I think the flux that the capacitor. Line, no, the timeline, and then it skews, and you know. Yeah, I think the line is supposed to show time itself, and you've got slight splinters off the like, side of it, like divergent points or something. Right. And, and this is where I decided line. to have cream in my coffee rather than black. Oh, there's another universe. Uh. <laughs> uh, that's right. All right. Well, so Lon decides to say, okay, I've got to take this to the bridge. I'm not sure what's going on here, but let's go to the bridge. Captain and... will know what to do. <laughs> oh, then Captain. we see Kirk and Spock. Sort of. Yeah. Well, first we see Kirk and that's kind of a surprise. She I, doesn't even know who it is. I think this whole story could have worked without Kirk. We didn't need to introduce Kirk yet in this series. Well, I I this feel is, like this is part of this is this is like act Kirk one life. of something. It's yeah. Kirk life. Right. You and know, when something. we get to the end of the show, you'll find that there's a tie back. Right. But Okay, keep going. So, yeah. So, well, I think that this is also what what Kirk is able to do is it's someone that even though he's not from the same timeline, he's close enough that when she discovers that he has no knowledge of of Noonien Singh being anything. Right. And she has no baggage as far as he is concerned with that name kind of liberating, right? That this is a, it's a shift for her and it's going to affect her in the end of this thing that he's there to be that person that you can feel like this is someone who sees me for who I am, even though they are from essentially a variant of my own time period in the future yours yes of mine no not of mine (laughs) Uh, of of her timeline so she it's a connection there that is very necessary to having her realize what that feels like and what she's going to have to give up ultimately in over the course of this episode. So I think that it was whether or not it had to be Kirk, I don't know, but it had to be somebody from her time period that traveled with her because if, if, if no one knew her name, when she's back there before anything ever happened, then it, well, that's the same with everybody. 
you know, no one knows it, but this is somebody from the future who doesn't know it. All I could think of is Dr. Horrible's song about a brand new day and the sun is high. The birds are singing that you're all going to die. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Hmm. All right. All right. So so Kirk, Kirk, first of all, he says, uh, you know, it sucks to be you Spock. And, um, we can't help you because we're already having our own problems with Romulans. Hey, and then there was an awkward silence where they're like, you know, like go ahead and cut it off now. Yeah. And here's Spock all going like, well, you know, I think as you humans are fond of saying, I'm going to like schmooze the humans. And he goes, nope, having none of it. You're on your own. And, but we do find out an important piece of information there is that they have their own problems with the Romulans. And that's an important point to make for several reasons as well down the line. Because if you don't catch that part, some other things are going to be a little what what's yeah. going on here so we we get that as a as a piece of information and she tries to convince kirk that she's from an alternate timeline and kirk is all yeah sure or yeah. you're crazy <clears throat> you know i thought it was funny excuse me my throat's going out uh i thought it was interesting uh where he turns around and says who are, who the hell are you and why are you on my ship and he's staring at her and they go to a commercial, you know, break. When they come back, no time has changed. He's still staring at the door. <laughs> it's like he's been waiting for her to answer since the, during the commercial break. That's and why I don't like, have commercials. And he did. Yeah. He, yeah. But you have that. You still have that kind of like fade out. Fade oh, yeah. In. yeah. Yeah. And he's, you he can tell that's where he's just like, yeah. um, but he also doesn't notice immediately that she doesn't have the same, insignia on her uniform right because united earth has kind of an upside down diamond shape insignia for for their uh uniforms and she's still got the delta shield which yeah i think would be kind of quite like and what is that supposed to be that's on your uniform type of thing funny i could ask you the same thing it's a butterfly now, Kirk tries to take the device away from her to have the engineers study it, which leads to... Boom! New York. Yeah, New York <laughs> in the uh, early 21st century. Well, he got the, he got the 21st century. Mid-21st Mid century, yep. Yeah, he, he got that. Yeah, that's good. I'm but freezing my asteroids off. That's right. Yeah, it turns out that we find out at this point that the reason that, that Kirk doesn't recognize New York is because in his timeline, Earth is pretty much a ruin. Yeah. It's just he wasn't it, even it is, born on Earth. Right. He's born in space. He's never been to Earth. Like, whoa, okay, this is this is a whole new timeline here. I was starting to get unwrapped going, but but oh wait, different timeline. That's, that's I did plausible. think it was funny. They referenced like a USS Iowa is where he was born. <laughs> Trying to keep with Cannon there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they have to figure out how to blend in while they're trying to figure out how they're going to fix the timeline. Because clearly they don't go back just by pressing the button again, as Kirk does like no. 30 times yes. in a row. It's been disabled. They- you think he's on an elevator trying to close yeah. the door faster? I said up. I said up. Up, 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 up. 
Yeah. And then she accused him of, you, you broke it. I yeah. what? <laughs> Did not. And they do what I like to term larceny in the name of history. Yeah, a little light shoplifting, of course. Yeah, after they after we go through an episode of who wore it best, I thought I thought that rooms. was a clever way of getting out while the alarm was going off. You plant some socks or something in the poor lady's purse, and then oh, they won't notice oh, us. You haven't done that before. <laughs> Wait, uh, <laughs> tell us more, Craig. <laughs> no, but I heard I had a friend who did that. You heard, yeah, right. Yeah, he lives in Canada. Oh, darn, this takes place in Canada. Never yeah. mind. But they say, well, we can't we can't use that strategy anymore. We've got to come up with some other way to use to get money because people use money for everything. And Kirk hustles himself some chess. Because that's yeah. a quick way to make money. You know how long a chess game takes? I thought he was gonna play Fizzbin. <laughs> Well, if he's really good at it, the game might not take all that long. He might be over in like five moves. For this, all we know. this, this in basic. The park, they're like, "What the hell's Fizzbin?" I love how he rips on. It. He goes, "Ah, this old-fashioned two D chess. There's nothing to it." Yeah, it's for amateurs. That's a, yeah. We don't find out exactly how much money they make. However, I'm going to get to that in one second. Yeah, with a technical problem as well. But the first thing that they do is he spends some money on hot dogs. Right, because you got to eat. Got it. Well, you know, and that's that's true to Kirk. And like, oh, you know, is it any place to get something to eat? I'm starving when they're unstuck on Genesis. So clearly, right. you, you stomach, you lead with your stomach, and then the rest will follow. Uh, I figure that he's he wants the hot dog because he's now back in some place that's of ancient mystical times, and he wants to partake partake of everything yeah. that it has to offer, including lawn. Oh, snap. snap. <laughs> but after That's they Kirk. get the hot dogs, they... No matter what timeline it is. It's, it's Kirk. Kirk. It's still Kirk. Yeah, I gotta, gotta, gotta admit it. Okay. Wait, wait. Go let's, let's go shoplift you some green face makeup. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Let's not do that. But my question is, all right, they have money. They have money enough for three hot dogs and, and, and more. So... They stay in a hotel. They don't stay in a two-part question. They don't stay in a cheap hotel. They stay at they one stay right on the river so they can see very the, expensive the, the bridge yeah, getting blown up. Yeah. How much money did they get out of that chess game? I know. Second point is you cannot check into a hotel, especially one like that, without a credit card on <laughs> file. That's exactly what my wife said. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's right. Good point. Then, then, so, then Kirk reveals like, hey, you know, why should I do anything? You're going to wipe out my timeline. I should do nothing. Hey, hey, you know, the way things are nowadays, they could have applied for a credit card and got it. Within <laughs> well, maybe that's what they did. Instant, <laughs> instant acceptance. As soon that's as right. they showed up on the planet, they had four things in their mailbox for credit card yeah. applications. Oh. That's right. Sorry, I brought my communicator. It's still so full of spam now. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Then they, they so they're in this. This is the modest. Uh, for those of you watching the video, this is the modest hotel room that they got for the money. That's <laughs> like I could never afford a hotel room like this. It, it it's got a it's got a, a a common space the size of a house and it a balcony yeah. that that's half the size of the house. It looks like in a a big apartment. Yeah. You know, now that I'm looking at this though, you've got 
that long set of windows, yeah. you think this is the same set that was also Catul's office? Mm, I think she was location? up higher. She was probably same building up higher. Well, he was on a because he was he did a, he went on a walkway, which is right outside their window, to get to the building, and the windows were were all CGI'd in. Okay, right. So I maybe think this is the same set. You have to see From if the it, other angle. You have to see if those steps are right in front of the windows. Yeah, so I'll go. Yeah, I'll go back and check on the other other wall. Uh, you know, shooting across. Sure. I'll report back on on the possibility of that being the case. All, All right. right. But but they, yeah, they're having this conversation and Kirk is not wrong that they're having this argument about, well, who's to say yours is the timeline that needs to be saved? If I stay here and do nothing, my timeline stays intact and I live. All right. I mean, that's kind of hard to argue with. So you know, Lon brings out all the points about, well, in our future, we don't just live on three little planets. We are part of a federation with other species and we are explorers in the galaxy. And by the way, we have sunsets yeah. on, on my Earth. our Earth. Yeah. yeah. We're not just rubbing it in. We're not just surviving. We're living is, is kind of the point she was making. Mm -hmm. But she brings home she was the rubbing point. It in, huh? Yeah, she brings home the point in a way that um, because I think those other arguments were like, yeah, okay, that's interesting. But she brings up the point that Sam is alive. Oh, yeah. In her universe, and that like he freezes at that point. Because apparently he's he's dead. Yep. In this, in his timeline. So we get that moment of recognition, but no time to dwell on that because the bridge oh, explodes. Which is lucky right. they had that room. Right outside yeah. their window. I did like that uh, transition because it showed them talking to each other. And then then all of a sudden you see the reflection of the explosion, which was kind of neat. Mm -hmm. You know, the way they did it. And it was the Lake Ontario Bridge. Which apparently uh, one of its purposes was to be a peace bridge. Um, to be an international project. Uh, to be a symbol of trying to unite humanity and this is why it becomes a problem for some certain species mm -hmm. who wants to get rid of it <laughs> so it is blown yeah. up and uh ncis uh kirk and lon head over to the scene star trek ncis <laughs> <laughs> and it's got back to come in at some point to to help out with this and they're they're looking and Lon notices that there's something weird about one of the pieces of debris, but it, it gets put into a van really quickly and she can't, she, she didn't get a good look, good enough look at it. So they, they call over a photographer who's just happened to be snapping pictures and ask if they can see, well, she says, uh, I need to see a picture on your camera. And Kirk says, uh, please, she, she meant to say, please, you know, can she see the picture? Yes. Right. So the photographer is happy enough to oblige, uh, shows the picture, and then apparently zoom in is no longer a thing one says in, 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 in the, the future. future. Right. <laughs> enhance. Zoom in enhance. <laughs> but we do get zoomed in. I could they... I could see that. I mean, if you went back a couple hundred years and had to try right. communicating with people in 
you know, even even in you know American revolutionary times, the language would be sufficiently different that you'd you'd have a few stumbling points. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the I, fact that they don't have more of them is, you know, go go read uh, some literature like from even the late eighteen hundreds. Yeah, uh, I was was it Scientific America? It was some it was an old magazine, and I was reading it online, and I was like. I recognize these words, but the way they're using them is just... You might as well be reading different. Shakespeare. What is uh, thou, yeah. Lord, over thine own... It's like, yikes. It went okay. something like that. It, there was, I was like, what? You know, it's hard to make sense. Okay, so this this image, this, this zoomed in and enhanced, because clearly when she zooms all the way in, it's not pixelated. So her camera is enhancing as well when she zooms in. It's it's right. it's like a, a a super duper bazillion megapixel camera, and she had a good yeah. zoom lens on it. Yeah, and she's a Romulan. Oh, spoiler! Um, oh, so spoiler. yeah. <laughs> so they recognize uh, well. Lon recognizes as photonic uh, bomb um, residue. They don't say that right away to the photographer lady. No. No, they 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 walk away saying, "Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for your for your help," and they realize they they have to get a good look at that evidence. But a van is taking it away. So what do you do? You got to get yourself a vehicle, and in a pinch, you do a pinch. So Kirk, which oh. I refer to as the Fast and Future Furious, he gets a transformer. He he gives a citizen a Vulcan neck pinch that he learned from a cellmate. Was it? His in, cellmate in a, in a Denobulin prison. prison. And he can also make, uh, you know, plumic soup. In a, I can make plumic soup in a toilet. So I got yeah. that going for me. Uh, yeah, you can have all you want. All I like to think it was, prison ain't so bad. You can make sangria in the toilet. <laughs> now, I got a question for you guys. I have not had a chance to look this up to see if anybody's got theories about it. But they make an a point of showing you the license plate, which means the license plate has some significance. Right. Now, 86 is when the voyage home came out of, so that's Star Trek. It's um, next generation was the next year. 89. So I'm not, I don't know if it's referring to a date, if it, it could have no significance at all, but usually you don't, focus that much on the license plate unless you want it seen. Mm -hmm. Right. So do you I don't know? I was trying to figure out uh, what, what that meant uh, too, but I, I didn't make any sense to me. I think so they I'll did it just to make the nerds curious. <laughs> well, I'll be interested to find out if it, if it actually does mean something um, in reference to Trek or, or this episode. Well, 86 yeah. also means to get rid of something. Yeah, that's true. Um, and apparently Kirk is real bad and get, then gets real good at driving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nearly was... nearly backs oh. up into something else. And then two seconds later, it, it reminded me, I just watched Earthquake from 1974. And it had like this mm -hmm. automatic transmission that automatically went forward or backwards, whatever. It's like, really? Well, that never happened. Well, that's the future timeline that the, that the earthquake destroyed. Oh, don't ever right. take Charlton Heston's vehicle. That's my point. No. no. 
I'll tell you something else that was funny is that uh, I, you can tell they filmed this over several days because there was snow. There was no snow. It was mm-hmm. snowing, and then there was no snow. I'm like, <laughs> make up your mind. Yeah, I'm sure they're all thinking, great. The one time we want it to snow in Toronto. And it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And it doesn't. Ugh. But this chase is not enough to to occupy our, our two passengers or our, our driver and our passenger because they're having a back and forth about Kirk's middle name and his brother's full name and how pompous and ridiculous this all is. But that's when we get the realization, when, when Lon gets Lon the realization goes. that Noonien Singh means nothing to Kirk. That's right. Yeah. And like, she just, like, yeah, well, I mean, she's, she's dumbstruck because that would be the first time in her life that that meant nothing to somebody. Like the Scarlet Letter or the Mark of Yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm kidding you. So, I know. So, <laughs> I know who author is. <laughs> and the Bible. And by the- by the way, uh, you know, we were talking, we were joking about Kirk driving and or not knowing how to drive and driving. You know, he he um, he first put this car in reverse. He did that also in TOS. You know, remember he went backwards uh, right at first trying to drive. Oh, right, right. Well, I mean, you have historically bad luck with first getting into the vehicle in Star Trek because. When Archer and T'Pol get into the vehicle, they're going to um, borrow uh, uh, in the episode where they go back. Um, what was the name of the episode? Uh, something the Street. Carbon uh, Creek one? No, 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 no. That's because that's that's not T'Pol. Oh. Um, okay. uh, something something Street. Oh, I'm, people out there screaming at their, at their listening devices. I'm, sure I'm sorry. I know what it is. Wait, um, you said people. You think we have more than one that listens to the show? I do. I okay. Do. Um, but he turns on the radio and it's full blast a commercial for, you know, like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> That's right. And he has to figure out how to shut it off. So historically getting into the vehicle is the worst part for someone from the future in Star Trek. And then they pick it up right away. I believe there was a device known as a clutch captain. Mm. Clutch cargo. No, not clutch. Ah, cargo. Creepy. Right, so they're chasing after the van and doing a very good job of it. Uh, you know, Kirk Until. is fishtailing and weaving between traffic and everything. But then they come up to this kind of roadblock. The van makes a corner and Kirk is trying to. He's all of a sudden familiar with every street in Toronto. Yeah, he's trying to keep up and they pass by a police officer who then joins the merry chase. And they get stopped. Well, the van gets away. They get stopped. And. Kirk is put in handcuffs. It's about to be carted off until, oh, look, that crazy, crazy, wacky photographer, photographer comes along to, to help them get out of their fix that they're in. So this definitely becomes a case of this crazy person who we know is the Romulan. Uh, later on, we find that out. Well, in the respect that she clearly has the long game all planned out yeah. how this is going to go down as soon as she identifies that that's Kirk. I thought her, I thought the cops kind of gave up a little easy. It's like, Oh, well, uh, there's, there's a you know, sale at the seven 11. Let's go guys. Chuck, you're familiar with the uh, U S cops. These are Canadian. 
they very, you know, they apologized for doing anything. And <laughs> we're sorry. We're sorry. Sorry. Yeah, we're so- sorry. You're not going to tell me, eh? You're going to delete that, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's, here's a continuity thing. Uh, listen to Dan says, you never see them take the cuffs off, Kirk. <gasps> no, but you hear it. I think I heard uh, it. I, okay. I, I recognize that same thing, but you can hear them kind of, you know, jingling as they're walking off. But yeah, you never now, see it. Yeah. He now I I gotta back up a bit. He said he didn't have a phaser, a tricorder, or a communicator. Well, he didn't have any, he didn't have any devices of any kind. When are you ever on the Enterprise without a communicator? Or did that magic zappy button that brought him to the past leave the communicator behind? I don't think you necessarily have to have your communicator with you when you're on the ship. He had it on the bridge. You said you had a picture of him wearing the upside down diamond thing. All they did is walk to the next room. Where yeah, did they get the communicator? That's a badge. Yeah, back in TOS. That's era, not a commu- that's that's a, a, but that's those are not communicators. communicators. Oh, back in TOS times, you're right. Badgers? Right. We don't even know stinking badgers. That's so right. they, they, you know, this, they, okay. they can tap that all they want. It's as broken as the button because it's never going to work. It's just a piece of metal. About as effective as the one I wear on the cruise. Um, so the photographer at this point. I say, you know, she's clearly pulling the strings because she lays out at the beginning of their conversation after she's rescued. Aliens. Well, she says they want to destroy the bridge. And she talks about how the fact that that's a symbol of unity. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, something to, you know, keep. Slow down their progress to space. Well, well, no, to and to to basically keep them like fighting with each other, all this type of stuff. And that there's a cold fusion reactor nearby. So all the stuff, she's just laying it out saying, here are the breadcrumbs I want you to follow. Well, yeah. she's, she's doing it in a way that anyone else on this planet would think she's a whack job. Right. And they do, they, well, Lon thinks she is. And, you know, I think Kirk doesn't necessarily believe her per se, but feels like she's someone who, believes in this and she's ultimately right that there are aliens and that, you know, they will visit earth and so forth. So she's, and you know, she needs some validation of that fact that maybe that's true. So they're both kind of buying into it or not buying into it for different reasons, but none of it is correct. Right. And then, and then she go, the photographer goes and says, look, you guys aren't quite getting it what I'm laying out for you here. So here, let me me show you a picture of a Romulan bird of prey. Okay. This is my personal ship. First contact (laughs) day is in 39 years, 279 days, three hours, 50 minutes. Yeah. If, if they used my countdown app, they'd know exactly when the aliens are getting here. Mm. You're like in the future. Yeah, man. It's weird. Just got to watch the movies. So she's definitely, definitely saying, follow the clues I'm giving you <laughs> to make this happen. Do I have to draw you a map? Can I, She yeah. should have just handed them a tricorder at that point. Yeah. But, uh, by the way, uh, speaking of food, I like Kirk's uh, excitement over the poutine. It's got gravy? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Kirk in his stomach again. All right. So they're going to need an engineer who can figure out a way how to detect 
the cold fusion reactor. And of course, no, neither of them took any engineering in Starfleet. Uh, they were, they were out, they were out that week, uh, that semester, apparently. I know. know one. She mentioned it in the beginning of the show. Yeah. Where we can find her. I hope she's in today. So they have to travel all the way from Toronto to Vermont. And my first thought was, how did they get across the border without passports? And then they quickly resolved that by saying we bribed. Bribed somebody. And when they couldn't figure out exactly where she was, well, the person in the Apple store taught them how to use DuckDuckGo. (laughs) I love that line. That was funny. Uh, Yeah, because they go, they travel to Vermont and lo and behold, there is Pelia in her, you know, Museum of Antiquities that's completely above board and and not shady at all. And uh, they need entry. So Lon says, "I, I, I know who you are and I know your secret. So, uh, Pelia Actually, has to I thought it was kind of interesting. I, at first, I, she said, uh, uh, I know a person. And I was like, who in the world would she know? And then, of course, I should have guessed. You know, it didn't dawn on me right at first. So I refer to this as time's other arrow because you, yeah. you don't have, you know, no one knows Guinan. But, you know, Pelia, that's close enough. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, but. Much to their dismay, this Pelia is the same as them. She's never taken en- any engineering courses. Oops. So what's the point of going here? Well, well the, they, I mean, they, she does point them in the right direction by, you know, talking yeah. about the phosphorus on the, the watch. The, the, the dive watches in the 80s had tritium in them. And Someone went to great lengths to figure this part out because yes, yes, they did. <laughs> they did. Matter of fact, and they still I do. Very, I was kind of surprised because Lon breaks open the dial, so she's exposing herself to some of that radiation. No, it oh, had already it, decayed. The half life. They said the half life had already decayed. Oh, and, and that's why I, it didn't thought, glow anymore. I thought, they were, I thought they were still, even though they don't glow. I thought they were still. I mean, in the real world, I thought that. Those watches were still a bit, you know, iffy to have. Radium. Uh, radium did. Yeah. Tritium, no. Yeah. Okay. Because the, right. the, there's the old story of the, the women who worked at the radium watch dial company and they would paint the radium and on then, and they'd lick the paintbrushes to yep. keep the tips nice and sharp so they get the numbers yep. nice and crisp. And of course, they were ingesting radium. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So they, they tastes like pineapple. It, yeah. They hightail it back to Toronto at that point. And begin walking the streets of the city. Hey, Looking I bet at you the twenty bucks. I bet you that they had to use some of that cash he he want uh, he wanted to buy gas too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I thought she popped the crystal off of that watch just a little too easy. Well, it was a cheap watch. Wouldn't you have to pop the crystal from the inside anyway? Probably. Like you have to take the, the di- bezel. You have to or... remove the dial. Probably just right. yeah, pull you it from the inside. The... Inside out, and then get to the crystal. Right, but she smashed it and just kind of right. Yeah, from that, I think that's what you did. I think she's. I think she smashed it. It was, no, it was she... just like pop, and it's out. Like no, you don't go in yeah. from the top. Okay. Anyway, moving on to the streets of Toronto again. We're... So they're trying to trying to get the watch to glow to tell them where the the cold fusion reactor is, and they're having their conversations and talking about timelines and what's going to happen when this is all resolved and. 
you know, Lalan is thinking, well, you could come back with me because I brought you here. You know, this maybe could bring you back. And it just doesn't seem like that's the way it's going to happen. And then some romance. Some hot fusion. Not cold yeah. fusion. Some hot fusion happens. Because uh, that uh, poutine got him in the mood. It's so much hot fusion that the watch glows. It's it's yeah. it's Kirk. It's Kirk. <laughs> He's the he's the fusion reactor. Oh, oh my! Oh my! Is oh, right. Ooh, uh, it's somewhere around here. Uh, awkward. But they they do find it. It's it's at the Noonien Singh Institute for Cultural Advancement. <laughs> yeah. In the basement of that building. Yeah. Why didn't they just call it the Sung Institute for all? <laughs> it's like... Well, because that's not that's a different. Different different branch of evil science. You mean sing, sing, sung, sing, uh, whatever, sing, sing, corrected Kirk, sing out loud. Sorry, yeah, yeah. They go inside and they and and Lon realizes that she can use her hand to open up the doorway in because it's apparently it's reading DNA. Because that's the way security systems work. Well. That again, I, yeah. again, I don't know whose security system it is at that point. But well, it can't be the Romulans because then it's a same. The photographer could get right in, right? It's, it's got to be the the Noonien Sung's. No, the photographer couldn't get in, right? That I'm saying, so I'm saying that they can't oh. be Romulan technology that is the basis of the DNA passcode to get inside. Um, but it does recognize her, and they're they're going to go inside. But the photographer shows up. And Kirk pulls a brilliant ploy to say, well, you can't shoot us because if you, if you shoot that gun, it's then it's going to go off. Yeah. You've and never been to earth, have you? <laughs> and yeah. bang. He says, try me. Okay. Someone called his bluff finally. So he gets shot, which is always, a, to me, it's always a danger to say, yeah. Go ahead, I dare you. Uh, okay, I got the gun. I might as well do it. You know. I thought that was the point where Lon was just going to get out that aggression that she had earlier in the show and kick some Romulan booty. Well, she tries. After. Grabbed by the a, yeah, after, after. I thought she was going to kick it while she had the gun pointed at Kirk. Don't you be messing with my boyfriend. Mm. Hey, yeah. Gonna, uh, I was kind of half expecting him to, to do the... Oh, oh my, you know. Oh, the the faint, the faint, faint. You know, no. for, uh, off generations. No, know, but Kirk. he said he says you know, say hello to Sam for me. Oh, yeah. I was expecting him to go. Oh my. Mm. Isn't that what? Isn't that what Kirk said in generations? The yes, sh- the ship yeah. out of danger. <laughs> you saved the ship. You saved us all. <laughs> yes, you saved us all. We are all over the place, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're enjoying yeah. this. I think we should All move right. along. Are you think, okay, catch, so, catching the references? Because we're we're like we we we're keeping the show short at an hour and forty two. All right. Yeah. So now this the again the, why only one news story. Now we get to the part where you've got to be paying attention to what's going on here because, and I'm not sure I'm not even sure if I've got it all correct. If I'm if I'm understanding this correctly, what the Romulans have been doing are little things here and there to slow down humanity's progress. Right. Mm All right. And that blowing up the bridge happened again this time around. 
which apparently it happens in, in both the timelines. Right. So that that's a common point. That that happens in both cases. So now the photographer is getting fed up with these little ditzy things that like the other Romulans don't realize, you know, I think she's kind of saying they don't realize how much these humans are attempting to get together. We've got to take this to the next level uh, to make, to, to put an end to all this. So she so, was supposed to blow up the reactor, she, right, which was right, in was Kirk's to... timeline, but instead she doesn't right, blow she's up now the locked reactor. Out. Okay. Cause she's locked out of, she can't get in there now. Yeah. So she's going with her plan B, which an algorithm essentially has told her this plan B is what you need to do now to basically put an end to humanity ever going to the stars. What did she type into chat GPT? As a Romulan, I would like to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, she went, she, she, she started typing actually into word and Clippy said, I see you want to stop humanity from forming the Federation. Could mm-hmm. I help with that? Um, so the plan now is to kill Khan Noonien Singh <gasps> so that Earth never unites post-eugenics wars. Right. So they get as far as the door to Khan's office. We're not sure. Apartment? I mean, we the, the yeah. name. It looked like a locker for a minute. And Lon says, no, this is, this is not going to happen. And then they fight. And then all that aggression comes out from Lon and uh, she shoots the Romulan and kills the Romulan. And then the Romulan presses a button as she's dying and vaporizes, which and wouldn't before, be dramatic for a little. Oh, did I well, before it? she goes, though, <laughs> one of the things she's pointed out, one of the things she's pointed out in her diatribe about humanity is that, and this whole con thing was supposed to happen in 1992, but because of all these, you know, temporal wars, I've been stuck here for 30 years waiting for this that to happen. Whoa, did we just screw with the timeline? Weren't the so, eugenics wars like in the late 1990s? Well, they were in the 1990s, which she said that was supposed to happen yeah. in 1992. So she's saying that the temporal wars, because we've always had this thing about, all right, Clearly, we in the real world are past the 90s. Yeah. So we have a divergence from the Star Trek timeline, if you will. Yes. So this is kind of resetting the eugenics wars to now take place in the future, in the late, in the mid to late 21st 21st century. century. Okay. Okay. So that's the way I was reading that. All right. So that again, trying to keep track of all this stuff going on. Um, yeah, but she disappears and Lon has to decide what to do. So she enters Khan's room and notices there's children's drawings all over the place. <laughs> hey, by the way, I, I know you're getting ready to describe this a little bit mm-hmm. more, but there's a there's a, a spot in this whole scene that I just couldn't get past, but I want to okay. see if you, you recognize it as well. But go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, well, you know, it could can, be a grown-up man who just can't draw very well. Well, that's the, beside the point. Um, so she hears a rustling as she's looking around all these drawings and so forth and sees a little boy mm-hmm. 
come up from behind the bed and says, you know, are you, you know, are you going to hurt me? Are you here to kill me or something? It was. Yeah. Uh, and, and she. Take me away. He said, take me away. Okay. And she realizes who it is mm-hmm. and that he's just a little boy at this point. And, you know, everything is racing through her head at that point because she has an opportunity here that she she feels she can't take. She asks, you know, are there any others? And he points over to the photo. You clearly see some of the other members of the eugenics mm-hmm. experiment yep. Yep. that are there. So she there, you know, it's all laid out for her. And she doesn't do it because if she she realizes if she kills if she changes anything. Her timeline is gone again. She can't go home. Well, well not only that, now that she can, she can't go home. But there will be no federation. Yeah. So she is making the sacrifice, and it's a bitter sacrifice to make because she is essentially condemning a lot of the world to mi- absolute misery by making this decision. Well, right. she she so, does have a turning point when she's arguing with the Romulan just before the fight breaks out. And it was like, what are these, who do you think you are moments? And she says, I am La Noonien Singh. And she she admits it. It's, it's like, I, for a moment there, you think, I'm proud of who I am. I'm going to wear this yeah. badge. So hey, this, by the I, way, uh, listener Diane, said, she mentions that there was a similar plot point in Doctor Who where the Doctor encounters her longtime enemy, Dalvaros, uh, creator of the Daleks, as a small boy and had a similar moment with him. Oh, yeah. Right. It's it's kind of one of these moments where, uh, yeah, it's not one of these cases of, well, what if I, you know, killed Hitler as a child? Right. <laughs> right. Because you're you're you know, the future beyond the incidents. You, you absolutely know it for certainty what those incidents are. And you're making that decision to all of that is going to happen or all of that is not going to happen. Yep. So it's a it's a pretty tough choice to make, but she she makes it. I thought and... the actors played this well because you could you could mm-hmm. feel those thoughts going through with like, could I? Would I? Should I? You know, what if? I better not. Yeah. It, it was you could you were uh, you were there for the ride at that moment. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So she resolves you... it and goes back. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you? Um. Okay. So. You... Oh, yes, you're going to say the the point. Yeah, did you notice the the odd choice? Uh, I guess it's more of a continuity piece, maybe uh, a little bit. Mm, I'll spell it out. Okay. Lon has the pistol, or the the weapon in her hand, goes in the room, sets it on his computer at his desk, talks to him for a minute, and then leaves. She left the gun in the room. A loaded gun with a child. That's good. She never. I was like, is she not going to pick that back up? No, she's walking out. <laughs> it's a souvenir. Well, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, the the shells were all spent. Let's 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 sure. let's think positively. Maybe that was that's what the deal was. You know, there were two bullets in the chamber, and they were all or, used up. Or that was kid. the that was the first weapon that Khan the wielded. He, he's a smart. Kid. That's the first weapon that Khan yielded. Yeah. I told you they don't use it. We didn't use axes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Yeah. So she returns to her, her own timeline and is visited by the temporal agent who says, thanks for your service. You protected the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Just I, very, I... very, very, very stone faced with smile on her face, just kind of like showing no emotion whatsoever. Just where I'm going to leave now. Can we have our toys back to, to anyone ever again? Uh, and, and I feel like she's had this conversation many a time. But oh, yeah. huh, many a time. Ah. But yeah, see, this graphic is exactly the same graphic. Yeah. That was at it's the true. beginning. So, but I think also it, the button is green. It's green when, when you're ready to travel. Other, when the other agent pulled the, the device out and it turned red after the button was pushed, which I guess mm -hmm. means that they're going into the split of the timeline. Yeah. And when they come back, it's now back to green again. So that could, that could possibly be with that. Green means, means go. Yeah. Green means a okay. Right. Uh, so all this is as if this wasn't enough of emotional baggage for Lon because she can't discuss this with anyone. She almost out of instinct places a call to Kirk. Good thing he was home. Yeah. yeah. Well, he wasn't home. He was uh, somewhere on duty. I'm assuming he's working on a space so station. You get the feeling that she wanted to see his face, but she also possibly you know do you know who i am yeah and do you recognize me and he clearly doesn't and she has to give up some fake story about oh well i'm and checking sam's on birthplace for security yeah. records yeah that type of thing so it it, it just tears her apart at, she at facetimed him <laughs> yeah, yeah essentially she did yeah um because she knows how to use duck duck go but um where where, where where was he born oh same place as me riverdale iowa wow the history's been changed because <laughs> i left that gun <laughs> oh yeah. no <laughs> uh then as we pull back now what do you guys make of the thing they clearly want you to see when this episode the watch the watch sitting on the on the uh the furniture yeah, it's now an antique, so. Well, I noticed that the temporal agent didn't ask for it, whether they didn't realize she had it. it and she, well, it was on her wrist at the time. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was right there, so. So there's something, I think that watch is going to come back, which is said, you know, this the whole thing with Kirk. I think we're at, that was part one. So the I want to know, does Pelia remember her? Go, yeah. Where's my watch? Yeah, <laughs> you broke it. You happy now? You, you didn't pay for it either. Two hundred years ago. And it, well, and I'm it, wondering if she if she recognizes or not because it's that's like that is a long time to have passed. You know. Yeah, you'd remember an that? encounter like that. Well, uh, you know what's going to uh, be interesting if uh, later on in another episode, well, we can get out of this situation. We only had a little tritium. Yeah. Oh wait! Screep, I got something scrape, 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 scrape. I can't get the the uh, the glass off. Oh. oh, I can't put it back on again. It needs to be on now. Oh no, I right. broke it. Oh, problems. All right, time travel. It's always fun. Yeah, they did a pretty good job with it. Yeah. So, uh, any other thoughts on tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? No, mm. I think. 
I can't think of anything else. I think we said it all in a couple hours. You could make a okay. musical about Little Orphan Annie about that song. Uh, the sun will come out. Blah, 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 put something else yeah. in there. It's fine. All right. Yeah. So let's go back up. Well, um, how about on Divers Watches? One to 10 <laughs> Divers Watches. <laughs> so you start us off, Chuck. One to 10 Divers Watches on this one. I thought it was a fun story. Um, I still, uh, uh, you can speculate what you want about Kirk coming back and that relationship. I think this could have worked equally well with somebody else on the bridge. Now, would the fans have liked it as much? I don't know. But it just, a couple of of cracks in the story, as you pointed out. But uh, overall, I liked it. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Alrighty. What about you, Craig? Um, I liked the the type of time terrible story that we got. I thought it was a you know a little different than normal, uh, you know, kind of thing. And so I, I enjoyed it. I think it was a little slow and drug in some places. So the pacing was a little weird at times. And I was like, well, you just kind of get on it, like watching each other sleep, you know, kind of <laughs> like let's move along. Uh, but overall I liked it, but I'm going to get it a, an eight. Okay. And I'm going to go with an eight as well on this one. Um, I felt like the last act was the strongest. Um, and it was set up well in the beginning part, but I felt like the beginning part had some major issues. First of all, I felt like the part at the beginning, as I stated up front with a day in the life of La'an, was all tacked on there just to get one line of dialogue yep. in and that this yeah. ep- and this episode ran over an hour. So yeah, uh, it's right. the other thing I, I didn't like was Kirk's shift of tone. As soon as they get to earth in the past, you know, he goes from the captain of the ship, in command and you know having the discussion to being a blathering idiot just pressing the button over and over, yeah. and over again <laughs> yeah. on the device Ooh, hot dog and, yeah. and and yeah gets hot dogs and doesn't notice the the you know anything about the the uh, debris from the bridge or I had a note on my notes stuff. as well it says I'm not enjoying Kirk as an idiot yeah I, I feel like we've now seen two versions of Kirk from this actor mm-hmm. that are not that are admittedly not the Kirk we're supposed to know. And whether this is intentional to be able to draw those distinctions when we finally get there, I don't know, because first was in the, in the season finale of season one, where he's from the alternate timeline where he's still on the hood and, and uh, Pike is on uh, the enterprise. And this one where he's from a diverged timeline where he's on the enterprise but it's not the Federation. There is no such thing as the Federation in his future. So, and he's lost his brother and he's never visited earth. So he's clearly a different person, but at some point you have to see Kirk. And I don't mean that they have to do an impression of Shatner because, you know, Chris Pine was not always doing an impression of Shatner, but you have to be the person in charge. And I know it's tough to have, two people that want to be in charge, you know, between Lon and Kirk, that can be its own problem. But he sometimes just felt too 
much the idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And maybe well, maybe you can write some of that off as eh, alternate timeline. He had a different upbringing. He's going to have different character traits. I will give uh, on a side note. Also, I think Christina Chong deserves a lot of credit because she was very strong in this whole episode. Oh, oh wonderful absolutely. acting. Absolutely. Yeah. I, like I said, especially in the third act yep. where half of the stuff was not spoken. It was just shown. Mm hmm. You know, and, you know, you got a line of dialogue that sells that, that, that says, you know, uh, Lon turns off the, the pad and has a breakdown. That's probably all you've got in the script. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and we'll see if this has repercussions as well. I mean, she's clearly changed in one way or another and how that will carry on with any storyline involving her name, whether that's just going to be dropped at this point or whether, you know, there's just some other change in her. But I, I feel like because we know this is um, episodic, but the emotions are supposed to carry from episode to episode. Sure. That we'll see what happens. All right. Now, uh, Craig, you have a quick uh, warp speed roundtable for us to get to with an appropriate sound effect. <laughs> Are we? It's as if there's time. But I know. <laughs> we're already at two hours, boys. Make it short. Yeah. yeah. So what's, what's your Warp Speed Roundtable question for us? All right. So Warp Speed Roundtable. Oh, you didn't. It's on the show notes. Oh, crap. It was the, um, which, uh, which ship would you rather be on? Which Starfleet ship would you rather be on uh, for battle? Oh, for battle. I thought it was just like for pick battle. a ship you want to be on. Ooh, for battle. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about one. Yeah. Um, so, but I won't choose that one because someone else brought that up and I think let that be their choice. Um, I would have to go with the Defiant. I feel oh, like it's yeah. just kind of, that's what it's built for. That is literally what it's built for. It's They use it for other things, but it was, the, it was built to defeat the Borg. I mean... What else do you want to go into to battle with than something like that? Yeah. All right. Who's next? Go ahead, Chuck. I want a Borg cube. Ooh. You didn't say it had to be like a Federation ship, right? I did. I said Starfleet. What? No, you didn't. You said, what ship would you want to be in for battle? Hey, Bernie, can you re-roll the film? (laughs) Play that beautiful bean footage. Yeah. All right. Sticking with a Borg cube. Yeah. All okay, right. a fully functional one, though, not the artifact. Or not, yeah, not the one sitting <laughs> on the beach in Picard. Okay. And it's up on cinder blocks. You yeah. know? <laughs> um, I was, I'm going to try, I'm going to pick something different. But at first, my thought was the USS Vengeance from uh, Into Darkness, because it, it's obviously huge and built to fight. Uh, and built it has, to take I, on the, the Klingons. That's right. Um, so, I would probably, I wasn't going to say Defiant, but you already picked that one. How about um, a Klingon ship? I would say the, 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 the Galileo. The, the, <laughs> With all its defensive weapons. It has half a photon <laughs> on board. And a faulty uh, nacelle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, uh, oh, you messed me up now. Oh, oh, the Delta Flyer. There we go. Okay. Yeah. All right. Short, small, nimble. Just, you know. just be careful how fast you go. That's, that's, that's what right. I'm saying. Yeah. 
There would be no salamander. <laughs> all right. Well, with all that said, it's time to refill the dilithium chamber and try to warp on out of here. I, you can find me, Clinton, at Comedy Forecast, all one word with the number four, dot com, where I'm going to be putting out some episodes and very shortly the big story of the summer, I guess we're going to, we'll call it this time around. But who speaks for you guys? I'll go. You can find us by searching for Technorama Podcast anywhere you find fine search engines or podcasts. That's uh, Craig and I do a show every Sunday night where we share news and odd stories and just kind of geek out around the campfire. Well, the microphone anyway, as long as the microphone's not on fire. Yeah, no, it's more like a garbage can on fire. A dumpster fire. That's what we sit around. We sit around a dumpster fire. That's if you can't find it right away, ask the the Romulan algorithm, and they'll they'll be able to yeah. recommend it. Tell you how to Doug, go. Did, <laughs> uh, dis- <laughs> how to destroy the universe with us within it? All right, all right. Time to hit the theme, boys. Already? Okay, here we go. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend about it and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter at The Topic is Trek. Visit our Facebook page or visit thetopicistrek.com. Until next time, on behalf of Chuck Craig and myself, I'm Clinton, thanking you for listening. And as we always say here on The Topic is Trek, don't don't put on that red red shirt. shirt. Uh Uh-oh. Craig has one on. He's dead. (laughs) Mine's more maroon. I'm good. all maroons, but that's another story.